Hi there, everybody, and welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream and podcast for Friday, February 3rd, 2023. I'm Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders, here with Mike Tanier. Normally, we do Thursdays. Today, we do Friday. The headline on the show says, Mike's Reese's Senior Bowl Highlights, not to be confused with Mike Reese's Senior Bowl Highlights. (laughs) (laughs) Mike Reese is not here. But if you want a very Patriot-centric set of Senior Bowl highlights, I'm sure you could talk to him. Absolutely. Good job, by the way, Ross. They get kind of squirrely if you don't put the uh, the, the sponsor in there. Mike's so got his Reese's Senior Bowl hat. So we'll do some yeah. early uh, Super Bowl talk, I think. But uh, mostly we're going to talk other stuff today. We're going to talk uh, Senior Bowl. We're going to talk free agency. We're going to talk coaching decisions. And we're going to talk about rumors that Mike heard while he was in Mobile, talking to other reporters, seeing coaches, everything that goes on at the Senior Bowl. So the first question I want to ask you is, let's talk about the free agent quarterback market. Right. Um, sort of stoked a little bit by Derek Carr showing up at the Pro Bowl games and giving a hell of an answer to a question when one of the reporters asked him uh, if it was a great performance and he said something about it being the best performance he'd ever had in Las Vegas and that's why they're getting rid of him. <laughs> um, let, let me ask you about Jimmy Garoppolo first. Right. Uh, what was the talk about Jimmy G? Because obviously with Brady retiring, there's now one fewer quarterback in the free agency market. And Jimmy G's a big name out there. We know he's not going back to San Francisco. Yeah, and so there's there's one more team that needs a quarterback. And if you start doing the math and stacking up the teams that need quarterbacks, there's a lot of them. And then when you look at the inventory of quarterbacks, okay, there we'll talk about this later. There's none in Mobile. There's none at the Senior Bowl. That's anything in terms of a prospect. So you got your Stroud, your Young, your Richardson. You will need a bridge quarterback if you get Richardson from Florida. And you've got your Levis, which I'm not going to talk about Levis right now. Uh, then you look at who's actually available. Carr, we can probably talk about some more. I'm under the impression that we're going to see at least a franchise Daniel Jones, if not extended a franchise, if not extended, Geno Smith, and a franchise, Lamar Jackson. There's not enough inventory of quarterbacks to meet the demand right now in an extreme way. In the past, that's always been the case, but it's like it's kind of extreme now. There's not even like this. The entire NFC South essentially needs quarterbacks. Right now, uh, I believe Andy Dalton would be a free agent. Mm -hmm. I believe everyone in Carolina would be a free agent, except for uh, – Sorry, who's the kid they drafted last year? Oh, gosh. Uh, 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 Coral. Yes, Coral. Matt Coral. Yes. Uh, Desmond Ritter would be the starting quarterback in Atlanta, and Kyle Trask would be the starting quarterback in Tampa. Yeah, and I could see Ritter possibly getting that job. I think you'd want a competitor for him at the very least. Kyle Trask is not the answer. The answer is not on the roster in Carolina. And Andy Dalton will get a bridge quarterbacking opportunity somewhere in this market. So you're left with Garoppolo, who the 49ers are making very clear they have zero interest in keeping, and he's sitting there. I think he's going to make bank somewhere because this is the guy, whether he's a bridge for some team like the Panthers who's grabbing a Richardson, or some team says, like the Jets obviously would be the first team that pops to mind. This is our starter right now as we try to build a 49ers-type factory around him. He's going to wind up being the, the, the winner in that free agent market. Although the Jets make less sense now. Mm-hmm. because of the change in coordinator. When it was Mike LaFleur and he had come out of San Francisco, 
Mm-hmm. That made a ton of sense. Now that it's Nathaniel Hackett, the Garoppolo, there's not a match there as far as they've worked together and we know he works in that scheme. Like that's gone now. Ah, but there is a match now in Houston with the Miko Ryans down there who's made a bunch of comments today or yesterday. I don't know when the press conference was talking about wanting to build a, he, he almost said a 49ers type offense is saying things like, well, we want to be able to run play action. And if nothing's available downfield, check the ball down to an explosive prep playmaker. We know what you're saying. We know what you're saying to Miko. So I don't, he hasn't picked a coordinator yet. I don't think, but that would be a place that Garoppolo could land. And and you know, with Ryan's being there, the, the Texans are no longer a, a circus. And it might be a good location. For we, hope. we hope. Six we hope. We hope. They're no longer a joke. They may still turn out to be a circus. <laughs> <laughs> Six-year contract for Ryan's, so they're not in this one-and-done mentality. No more Easter Bunny down there. I think I think they're on the path towards returning to the NFL, let's put it that way. Was there talk about specific teams that would want Garoppolo or just that he'll just be in demand? just that he will be in demand at this point. I don't know. I didn't hear a whole lot of specific team stuff in that, in that frame of reference. So Uh, what about Derek Carr or some of these other free agent quarterbacks? It sounds like the talk is that it's going to be franchise tags for Jones and Jackson and Smith, but well, what about Derek Carr who I guess he enforced a clause in his contract that he has a no trade clause if they wait till February 15th to trade him, which means yes. they're probably just cutting him. They're probably just cutting him. So, and, it, and that's the thing. Everyone says they're just going to wait this out, wait until he's cut. So you can negotiate directly with Carr and not put the Raiders in between. And you can get a better deal on Carr at that point. Not only do you not have to trade any draft picks or anything, but he's, he's got to come to you without that final contract you're in. And, the main thing I kept hearing is we joke about like the Raiders having no money. The Raiders really have no money. The Raiders have no money. So every time they, they incur an expense, they've got another problem coming on the back end of that. So I know last week there was like, well, Brady, maybe Brady will go to the Raiders. There was never a chance Brady was going to go to the Raiders. There was no money for Brady. And immediately after Brady's retirement, I see pro football talk. Oh, you know, maybe the, uh, maybe they'll pay it to Aaron Rodgers. There's zero money. For Aaron Rodgers. Is there money for Garoppolo? I don't know if there's money for Garoppolo at this point in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, they're going to have to go for cheap solutions. They might be in the Baker Mayfield category. They might be in the Dalton category as they try to get some, you know, get some past expenses, the Gruden money, you know, the Devontae Adams money that's in escrow right now, other losses from the past, get that to kind of come off the books before they can get on the books. I would be stunned if the Raiders make any kind of splashy move like that. A reminder, by the way, for those, if you are watching us live uh, on Twitch or YouTube, please make comments and ask questions. We love to talk to you during the show. Uh, so Brady retired. It was it was sort of an anticlimax. Like, <laughs> I love, you, we blew our wad last year on, <laughs> on, on Brady remembrances, and everybody this year just ran the exact same articles they ran last year, slightly updated. Did you rerun something? Did we rerun uh, something? At ESPN Plus, we reran my 50 greatest Brady's games with one change, yes. I wondered how you got that out so fast. Yeah, that was article was from last year. The only thing that was different was uh, game number 40. Game uh, number 40 was from this year? Was from this year, yeah. Otherwise, it was the same article as last year, yeah. That's brilliant because it popped up on, the, on my feed and it's like, my God, you must have been working 
like around the clock to get it out that quick. Well, we know it. I mean, I would have had to write that whole thing in an hour. <laughs> I just wrote one. I wrote one little bit. I wrote like three sentences. And then I was like, there we go. There's our change. There we go. Throw it out. Everybody threw up their stuff from last year. So I, I do think it's for real this time in yeah. that, first of all, he, he was crying. Yeah. Like he was emotional. Like it wasn't like, you know, last year it was sort of like, I'm retiring. That's how it is. This year he was like, yeah, this is, I'm not coming back. And the other is he would be a total joke if he came back at this point. Right. There's a little bit of a pride element that comes in, but you're right. I was struck by the sincerity of it Um, because most things coming out of Brady camp over the last few years haven't felt particularly sincere. They always felt very marketed and contrived to make sure his brand and his image were a certain way. And seeing him sort of alone sitting there talking almost like a, a breakup video or something like that felt very, very real. And it was, it, it was heartening to see it. it, you know, somebody who has like a hard heart towards Brady, like me say, Oh yeah, you're, you are closing the book on 25 years of your life and like 25 years of our lives. And it is something emotional. Um, there's a talk in new England that Robert Kraft wants to sign him to one of those yeah. one day contracts, which I find those, I find the whole idea of those one day contracts to be silly. Yeah. I, I guess in this case, do we need to establish that Brady was with the Patriots? Like, like that's a right. fun well, it's the whole thing. Like Witten, Witten signed one with Dallas. Well, Witten spent his whole career with Dallas. Did he really need to do this one day contract to prove that he was a cowboy? Like, except for one year, he was in Dallas his whole career. So, right. Um, you know, the, Brady, it's the same thing, right? These these one day contracts are sort of silly. But if he wants to sign one, great. If he doesn't. I don't think it changes the way anybody around here feels about him. No, it, it, back in the day, like some guy who played like five seasons and was like, you know, your sturdy safety five or six years, then went away for a year or two. And then they're retiring at age 29 and people kind of forgotten about him, but kind of remember him. The one day contract kind of brings them back into the local market's memory. So people can say farewell to him. And then if he wants to go back to the local market and open up, you know, a Dodge dealership or something like that, there's like a memory there. That's not required at the Brady Witten superstar level to say you retired in a certain place. You I'm assuming brought back, you know. I'm assuming when the schedule comes out this year, there'll be a Sunday or a Monday night game that'll be obvious. That's the Brady. That's the Brady number retirement game. That'd be nice. That'll be, and that'll be the only time we see the Buccaneers in prime time, except for some. Oh, I'm in them for the Patriots. Do you think oh. the Buccaneers would retire his number for only three years? I figure he's going into their ring of honor, but I don't think they'll retire his no, number. Not. You're right. They're not going to retire his number. Yeah, it'll be a Patriots game. You're right. Probably a Patriots-Bills game. Yeah, he'll go in the ring of honor. He'll go in the ring of honor for Tampa, even though he only played three years there because he led them to a Super Bowl. But he, yes. won't, he won't get a – number retirement is very rare in the NFL because they need – there's so many players. They need those numbers. Right. It's really hard to set numbers aside. Exactly right. You'll see some teams have like a retired number with two guys on it because I don't know if the Patriots have retired numbers other than I think 73 for John Hanna. I think that might be the only one. Some teams, and I lose track of it, and they might be one of them, like the equipment manager was sort of de facto in charge of it. Yeah. Like, like, like I never give that number out anymore again. Uh, because of this guy, and they never really did it in that way. Now, though the Patriots have a ring of honor, right? Well, I th- yeah, but I think they well, they have they don't do a ring of honor, they have a Patriots Hall of Fame. So they don't have the names like on a ring around the stadium, but there's yeah. like there's a little 
building next door to the stadium that has like artifacts and stuff. And they give out red jackets instead of gold jackets. And they give one person every year. One of the big debates around here, actually, on talk radio is should Bill Parcells be in the Patriots Hall of Fame? Yeah, because on, on one hand, he basically is responsible for the popularity of the team. Let's be perfectly okay. honest, right? Like more than Brady, more than Belichick, more than yeah. Bledsoe, right. Parcells is responsible for the team being the number one team in this area. On the other hand, people are still angry about the way he left here. I, I don't know what to say about that. He also led the team to a Super Bowl. Right? Yep. He, he coached them to a Super Bowl. It seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Because, yeah, you're right. In that era, there was talk of moving the team, talk of moving them to Connecticut, talk of moving them to, I think, to Arizona. For St. A while. Louis was a discussion. St. Louis was in the discussion. I know Kraft was just working his way up to buying the team. There was like this long, weird. Yeah, problem. Kraft bought halfway through the parcels. It was uh, the, the Razor guy, I think, Victor Kayam. And then it was Or Ornstein, the guy from Budweiser. And then I think he sold to Kraft. Right. And the, the guys in between, it got very wobbly in terms of like what the future of the team was. Yeah. But Oh, yeah. We thought they were out of here, honestly. Like it, when I was growing up, if you ranked the four teams here, it was unbelievable. Red Sox were right. number one. Celtics were clearly yeah. two. <laughs> Bruins are their own thing because because the way hockey works is that there's only 75,000 hockey fans in any one city and they all own season tickets. Yep, and 10 jerseys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the Patriots were a distant, distant fourth. Right, and the facilities stunk back in the day. I remember those teams going back. I know the Grogan era and like the Coney Easton era, they kind of bubbled up. But for the most part, it was just this, this kind of also-ran organization. Yeah, until Parcells showed up. Well, for Brady, what they need to do is, what is that, US-1, the one road that leads to that damn stadium that you basically, is giant parking lot. They have should a name Brady, it Tom Brady Street or something. And, and, and have a Brady Colossus, like, striding over it. So you have to go <laughs> through Brady's legs to get to the stadium. And, like, because the traffic is so slow, you can look up at Brady's stuff for, like, like 20 minutes as you're <laughs> All right. Let's talk about some of the coaching changes and what you think uh, – Let's start with Sean Payton to the Broncos. Uh, it's the thing that happened. I, did, I, I, didn't I honestly don't know enough about Sean Payton's personal scheme to be able to answer the question. I think it's a scouting question. Can he fix Russell Wilson? And yeah. I don't think I'm a good enough scout to have a good answer to that question myself. And I think there's such a physical slash emotional slash mental slash age issue to fixing Russell Wilson that I'm not sure. I would say that just grabbing your basic Mike Kafka and saying, hey, you go deal with this, was probably going to be doomed to failure. That Russell Wilson, if Wilson was tuning out Hackett, he's going to tune out a younger coach. There's a chance he won't be able to tune out Peyton. I guess from an X and O standpoint, my first question is, uh, Russell Wilson doesn't look like Drew Brees to me. I mean, they're both diminutive for quarterbacks. Peyton ran a different offense when Winston was his quarterback. He went deep a lot more often with Winston. I think he, I think Peyton can certainly adapt his offense to a different style of quarterback. That doesn't worry me. Right, right. So, but like, there's so many layers to this, and I, I think I wrote about it in the article. It's like, it's pretty clear that now there's an ownership faction, and there's factions within that factions, and we we've heard some rumors, some of which I don't want to run with publicly, um, but some of the things people might think are happening are happening. Um, there seems to be like a Russell Wilson, right? Russell Wilson is like a faction unto himself right now. 
Are you are you suggesting that the Walton family needs to star in the sequel to Succession? Is that <laughs> <laughs> they may not all get along and agree about everything Broncos related? My 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 jokes about the Suicide Squad were not far off of reality. Let's put it that way. Um, and now you've got like Peyton comes in as his own sort of faction, so it's like a multiply multiple online role playing game with all these factions warring against each other. Now, maybe this turns into steel sharpening steel. It turns into something great, or it could just be a succession type soap opera that just keeps rolling on and on for the next couple of years. I mean, I will say Kevin Cole did a good job, I think, of of um, explaining the idea that Peyton is worth the pick. Yeah. If you look at like how good Peyton has been as a head coach over mm-hmm. time and how often his teams have have um, played better than expectations. And it's worth a first round pick, a late first and a second yeah. again, to up to have him, especially given that any research we've done about head coaches shows that the only thing that really suggests that it's predictive about how good they're going to be is how yeah. good they were in previous jobs. Like right. how good they were as coordinators doesn't really prove to be predictive and mm-hmm. how much you think they get along with players doesn't prove to be predictive. Right. Like nothing else proves to be predictive except how good were they as head coaches. And Sean Payton was very good as a head coach. And you can look at McCarthy and people are like, oh my God, McCarthy, this, that. Cowboys are in the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> the, Cow- yeah. the Cowboys had one 2020 year where all went kablooey, so that's fine. They've been in the playoffs two straight years. The team is functioning properly and doing the things it has to do. So that's an example of bringing in the coach who, oh, he was just, you know, the quarterback made him or maybe or maybe not. You know, that's not necessarily the case. So uh-huh. it's just it's, it's an optical thing, too, with Peyton. And like I said, well, there's who's going to fix Russell Wilson. This is, again, a team that can't afford another Nathaniel Hackett coming in and saying, I don't know how timeouts work. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know how to manage a gate team late in the game. You can't afford to do that. It's worth a first round pick to say we know none of that nonsense is going to happen. And yeah. also look at their roster. It's still a pretty strong roster overall when they get some of these guys back from injuries. Right. I mean, if we'll, I think between Peyton and regression to the mean, you have to expect that Russell Wilson is going to be better next year. And then when you look at the rest of that roster, like that team should definitely be better next year. Yeah. The only thing is, and what I wrote about earlier in the week, I made the comparison to the Washington football team, Mike Shanahan and Donovan McNabb. And it turned out that McNabb really was at the end of the line. At yeah. And it yeah. just, it was a very quick, rapid downhill. There's a possibility that's the case for Wilson. I'm kind of wait and see on that because it didn't look that way at the end of the Fosberg era uh, at the end of the season. He looked like he was more like his old self. So let's wait and see. But there is, there is a chance of that. I pointed out on Twitter, by the way, the flip of some of that research that Kevin Cole mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, which was done by Andrew Healy, who used to write for us, oh, Yeah, um, is that we'd have no clue. We have no clue how good a head coach D'Amico Ryans is going to be with Houston. We want to believe that the circus is over. We want to believe that this guy, we know he's coordinated a great defense for a couple of years. Right. We know that he is very well respected by players. There's no indication that either of those things are predictive for success in head coaching. Very true. And when I say the circus is over, I mean the circus circus. Right. Where it's one coach every year and, oh, maybe we'll go just promote Josh McCown from backup quarterback to coach. That's a thing we can do. 
And uh, yeah, Davis Mills is our quarterback. We're not going to try and do anything. At least else. there should be some stability now in the coaching yes. staff. Yes. Right, right. I, he can bring stability and professionalism, and that's already a step up for this team. Now, the next step after that, that's the thing we don't know any about anything about. It could still be six wins, seven win team for a couple of years, and then see you later. All those things are possible. I'm just more, I'm, I'm just much more sanguine about him than I have been about a lot of these other coaching hires in the past. I'm talking about also like the Matt Rule type hires where you yeah you know. no he this is a good professional coaching hire this is the yes. this is absolutely the kind of guy you expect to get a head coaching job you respect that he gets a head coaching job i'm just saying he could be a very good head coach yes and he could be a terrible head coach right and we honestly don't know it could be anything in between it could be anything in between and we don't know much about nick i always say his name wrong nick, nick casario casario yeah nick casario we don't really know what he is like completely unshackled either from Belichick protecting any mistakes below you or Easterby magnifying any mistakes you make by making another set of them on top of that. Uh, you know, he strikes me as a GM who is good at low level free agent hires and is okay at draft stuff. And that's a good combination if you're working in tandem with a head coach that is a good head coach and you don't have Looney Tunes around you. And I want to see if both of these guys can take that step up now. Um, was there any other scuttlebutt in Mobile about any specific of the op open openings of the coach openings right now? There's a lot of WTF are the Colts doing right now? Like no one understands what's going on with that search. Um, you know, the Cardinals, we kind of understand what's going on there. They had a sort of a sudden change at general manager and they're taking their time bringing people in. And it's not necessarily a, uh, Super, uh, what do you, what would you say? Not, not a very enticing job at this point. Um, Indianapolis is different because they've known for weeks and months that they needed a head coach. They did not go into the Peyton sweepstakes in any meaningful way, which the Cardinals did, and that probably slowed some teams' operations down a little bit. And I just kind of read this coming across uh, the Indy Star. They might be doing third interviews, third interviews with a right, unusual, which is very unusual. I think somebody, the Indy Star writer said, four decades there have not been third interviews for head coaches. And no one really has a prediction or understanding what's going on there. You know, what at the very top, Ballard and Ursay, what they, what they are really thinking about. I mean, one thing is pretty clear is that both of them are thinking about the McDaniels situation from six years ago. Not having happen. that happen again, yeah. Right, right, right. But if you look at their list, it's – all over creation. You can't tell what they want. I mean, I don't know why you have to interview Jeff Saturday twice. And right. You already knew enough about him to hire him as your interim coach. Yeah. But now you're you learning. Right. Right. So I feel like that's and like, it's going to be an expect the unexpected type of situation there. And like, is it, is, is this all just a smokescreen because Ursay wants Saturday? I mean, that's one of the possibilities. And it's, it's all complete guesswork at this point. But he's the owner. Hire who you want, man. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, you run the, you run the right. team. Yeah. Hire, hire, hire St. Bernard, you know, that kind of thing. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. More about the Senior Bowl and your trip to Mobile. What uh, you wrote a, a lot. Uh, yeah, last we put it up yesterday afternoon, I think. What the big winner positions, like the positions that came out of the Senior Bowl looking like, like these are deep positions in this year's draft. Well, as I wrote and kind of led with it, running back was outstanding. 
Um, and that's rare at the senior bowl. And like even Nagy said, so it's like, yeah, usually we've got a bunch of seniors and all the, the good running backs are juniors and they're coming out and we're kind of dealing from the second hand of the deck here. And this year, lots and lots of explosive guys. And the, and the two guys I talked about uh, in the article mainly were Evan Hall out of Northwestern. And this is a kid, if you go back and watch some Northwestern footage or if you saw him play, he's a rusher and receiver. I think he had 53 passes, receptions last year. He's good on the wheel route. He's good underneath. He makes guys miss in the open field. And he's got a jump cut. He's got this sensational jump cut that looks great on tape, great on film. And then when we saw it live, it looked great live. And he was fast, quick, all of those things. The other one who probably was the best back there for the entire course of the uh, 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 trip was Tulane's Tajay Spears. And this guy just runs away from people. And those of you who follow the Senior Bowl or follow you know, on Twitter a lot of different guys, you'll see uh, video after video of him just just weaving through guys and running away from them on the practice field. And that's not to uh, discount, by the way, George's Kenny McIntosh, who was hurt the first day. So we didn't get to see a lot of him. I didn't get a chance to interview him or anything like that. But like, this is a guy who was, you know, he's a Georgia running back. He was behind Cook. He's been there forever. He was behind, like, I think he was behind Swift for a while. He was behind uh, uh, the other running back that the, that the Raiders drafted. Zamir um, uh, uh, White. Zamir White. Um, and now, and then last year, he kind of burst in the forefront. I thought he looked good, not great on film. When he finally got out there and was healthy the second day, the receiving ability, the swiftness, et cetera. This is emblematic of the whole problem with running backs, by the way. Mm -hmm. Right? The whole problem with running backs yeah. is that there are too many of them yes. that are good. Right. It's not, it's not. The, the, the whole running backs don't matter idea, right? Which is exaggerated, but you know, the basic idea is not that there aren't any good running backs. It's that there are way too many good running backs. Why yes. would you, so the, it's like, why would you draft Bijan Robinson uh -huh. and then wait till the fifth to draft a corner? Mm -hmm. If you could draft a corner in the first round and then get Tajay Spears in the fifth. That's exactly it. And maybe you want, uh, Bijan. Oh, by the way, Bijan's backup. I'm getting make sure I get my names right here. Um, Rashawn Johnson looked very good. So, like the backup at Texas looks like somebody who can play at the NFL. Even if you want Robinson, say, well, I think I can get Robinson in the second round. Why would you take Josh Jacobs? Why would you pay Saquon when all yeah. of these? Why would you pay right? Why would you pay any of the free agent running backs when there's this many good young running backs available in the draft? And that's not even including the juniors. That's just the seniors. Yes. Yeah, and that's it. And there were so many of them there. Uh, Appalachian State's uh, Cameron Peoples had a really good game. I'm just making sure uh, – set of practice. I'm trying to get some of these names right. The kids from Illinois looked very good. Josh something or another. I'm sorry that I uh, I get mixed up on this so easily. Uh, the kid from Illinois looked really good. Uh, Eric Gray from Oklahoma he had some trouble in pass protection, but he looked really quick. So many of these guys. And you reference cornerbacks. And you say wanting to get a cornerback in the first round. That was the other big winner. This week is the cornerback crop that was down there. We were a little bit disappointed because the other kid from uh, from Illinois, Witherspoon, he dropped out. He's somebody who has like a middle of the first round grade. He's, he, he yeeted. He's like, ah, I'm not going to prove anything down there. So many good cornerbacks. Cor I'll give one example here. Uh, Ray John from Oregon State. Uh, Ray John Wright. He's not on my winners and losers list. He looked really good down there. Um, I'll get it'll it'll come to me in a second. Caillou Blue Kelly from Stanford. That's yes. the name. Caillou, That's an interesting name. Caillou Blue Kelly. 
Right. I'm not going to comment. It's KYU, by the way. He has not the same first name as that little monster from PBS Kids. Is a different Caillou. Okay. So that's not, it's not him all grown up, but he's ornery like that in that he can, he's, he's very physical in coverage. He had a couple of interceptions. These, some of these cornerbacks, the only reason why they're not moving into the first round is because when you look at the list of first round cornerbacks that are out there who are juniors, underclassmen, that's cherry. And this is going to be a great year for a team that wants to stock up in the secondary. Um, who are your biggest winners of the week? I have a list here. We have your biggest winners of the week list. Yes, I made sure to, to write them down here. And I, I'm glad we got our Purdue uh, fan club uh, uh, commenting right now. Payne Durham, tight end, was one of the big ones. Um, and this is a guy I think everyone knew he could block, um, but he can block. He can really block. And the other thing is he's natural six foot five. It's not like a uh, media guy six foot five. It's for real. He's got the long arms. He can catch the ball away from his body. Most of the time when I was watching him on tape, on film, or on Saturdays, he was catching a little RPO pass into the flat. Hello, Todd. Yes. Athletic Director of Purdue University, Todd Singer, is here. Excited to hear this piece of information. A lot of times when I saw him, it was a little RPO pass um, in the flat. He can do a lot more than that. And this is a guy you're going to say, you're going to put him in line like a real tight end, and he's going to block first down, second down. And then you can have him from the three-point stance going up the seam running deep occasionally, and you're not going to tip your tendency. That's one of my winners. Who else do I have here? Oh, Ty J. Spears just talked about him, so we don't have to go back to that. Just really, really good all-purpose back. The third one, I was just mentioning cornerbacks. Kid I got to talk to a little bit. Kid I did a little more film study of afterwards when I ran back. Uh, when I was in the airport, I looked at him. It was Julius Brent's cornerback, Kansas State. He's six foot three. He's got... 87,000 million inch arms. I think it's 34 and three quarters. Don't hold me to that, but it's a really long arms. Had a couple of, he had an interception on Tuesday. He had a pass breakup. And he talked about how he had to um, cover Quentin Johnson, the uh, top wide receiver out TCU a lot. Went back and watched some of those games and it was very eventful. He, he got beat by Johnson once or twice, but he's on an island against a first round pick in the big 12 where it's all just bomb, 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 bomb. But, so he gives up a, a big player to has interception, has a forced fumble, has a bunch of pass breakups. And this is a guy, if you're looking for that taller matchup receiver, Brent's is somebody I think is moving into, I would say, the day two, early day two conversation. Uh, the losers of the week were the quarterbacks. <laughs> you made that pretty clear in your article. Yeah, it, it's it's hard because I don't want to, I don't want to like rip, rip, rip guys. But one of the things we were joking about is how often in the seven on seven, it was a quarterback, and whether it was Hall from BYU or the young man from Fresno State, Hainer, and they're just standing there in seven and sevens, like waiting for someone to get open and like rolling out in seven on sevens. Now, part of that's the coverage against the receivers, certainly, but then when the ball left these guys' hands, it was not good. There were a lot of deflected passes, there were a lot of floaters, a lot of errant passes, passes behind guys. I waited until the second day. It was very common on the first day. No one has any synchronicity with each other yet because they're all new to each other and it was still that case i was hoping max duggan would impress a little bit especially since duggan had some of his receivers down there and he just he looks like just a guy at best yeah. um paul struggled uh we didn't see a lot of the guy from louisville Malik, uh cunningham because he was hurt the first day and then it was like a catch-up day the second day and just one thing on top of everything else look at their measurables and you didn't even have guys coming in who like oh well at least he's six three two twenty. 220 it looks like he's well-built for the position, and so you can kind of take a mediocre scouting report and say, well, he's draftable because of X, Y, Z. 
lot of guys coming at like six foot and one eighth of an inch and like 202 pounds and not looking particularly strong out there. So again, it was a big week for Garoppolo. Big week for yeah. Daniel Jones. It, it sounds like there are not going to be quarterbacks taken on day two. That's like right. those four guys are going in the first round and then nobody. Tennessee, the, the injured Tennessee guy. Hooker, I guess, yeah. Hooker could go on day two. That's that's about it. If anybody who I think has helium in them of the big four drops, they could go in day two. But that's it. None of these other guys. A lot of these guys is going to be sixth, seventh round. And it might not be these guys. It might be someone who's out there in the weeds who did not participate in this game. Uh, unanswered questions from the senior bowl. One, what is Andre Carter's upside? This is interesting. The folks, Andre Carter is the defensive end edge rusher out of army. Okay. We were all looking forward to seeing him. He did come, he did show up and it, it wasn't superlative. He was getting uh, beaten a lot by the offensive lineman, higher level competition than you face at army, the offensive linemen who were there. And we were kind of hoping that he would come and be a rock star. Word on the street as we were, you know, making the rounds, talking to each other, talking to people who talk to people. Carter's at uh, at West Point. He's still at West Point. He's still waiting for the official deferment to come through the government channels to come down to him. So while some of these guys are already at like the performance academies in Florida and already starting to work out to an NFL level and start to work out for the draft, he's still down there, you know, whatever doing whatever you do in the Army. I, I talked to him a little bit. and. He's firing artillery off and he's working on his business administration degree. And he's, you know, running around with a rifle in his arm, which keeps you in very good shape, but not necessarily NFL combine preparation shape. So I don't think he's really was really in a position coming in here to say I was ready to go up against these guys in this uh, situation and excel. Six foot six, 200 and some 240 some pounds. It looks like he'll get up to 265 or so and has on film the traits to be a dominant guy. It's just, he didn't see it yet. I still think that there's probably a first round pick in there somewhere, but we're going to have to wait and see if we see that guy at the combine. Uh, second is tank Dell big enough. His name is tank. <laughs> yeah, I think his name is Nathaniel. His nickname is tank, but he is not tank Lawrence. I got the exact height and weight here. Five foot eight and three eighths inches, 163 pounds. 163 pounds. Wait, there's a guy named Tank Dell who's 163 pounds? There is a young man named Tank who is 163 pounds, whose calves look like my arms, okay? Now, this young man can play, okay? Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm making fun of his weight and everything. He's a, a, a thin, lean little guy named Tank. He can play. He's a slot guy. He's like every slot guy you would imagine. He's vaporizing guys in the open field, just winning. Now. There's a caveat there. It's like one-on-one -on -one drills and you're the slot guy and you have all this field around you. You, know, you, can, you can do like 20 moves because you have all the space that are in the world and you can vaporize your defender a lot. He still was doing a great job on that, was getting downfield against guys. Really looks good at tape on Houston. His Houston tape really looks strong. Um, and I wanted, to, I wanted to make him a second-round pick. I really wanted to make – like, oh, this guy's going to be a, a second-round pick. But at 163 – and also, I believe he's fifth year. He's very least a senior, but I believe he's a fifth year senior. There's these other question marks here. So absolutely fun to watch guy. And I'm kind of, I'm definitely rooting for him. Got a chance to talk to his coaches and everything while we were down there. But 163 is a hard number to like underestimate in terms of like whether that's a problem for the NFL. Yeah, that, that, that's small. 
I think that's, that's smaller than Tutu Atwell. That is that is Tutu-ish, yes. Tutu and Tank uh, combined, uh, you know, are like one defensive tackle, and that's mm-hmm. a bad size. Michigan State's Jaden Reed, by the way, was of another slot who's a more normal size, 5'10", 199 pounds, whatever he is, uh, 5'10". Uh, I can't find it right now. Normal size slot. If you're worried about weight, you could bring him in in like the third round and give you that kind of nifty, shifty production. Uh, the other question I want to ask about is Dewan Jones, Ohio State right tackle. Is he worth a first-round pick? That's what he looked like on day one. And by the way, Dewan Jones, six foot eight and one eighth of an inch, three hundred and seventy-five pounds. So he's two tank dells <laughs> plus a lot of sandwiches. He's he's two tank dells. Yes, plus a whole like scouting department's worth of saucy Q uh, to go orders all mixed into one dude, and he does not look fat at the weight. He looks large at the weight, and he is massive. I I took some pictures. Everybody took pictures. Him standing next to, like, a guard who is, like, a normal-sized third, fourth-round NFL guard, you know, coming in, and he looks like a half a head taller than him. And he was dominant, absolutely dominant on Tuesday. And he was going up against Carter. He was going against uh, Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame. Well, I think a lot of people have a day two grade on and it looks like a, you know, a very good overall player. And he showed quickness. He showed a finish. He showed a mean streak. And like, I was excited. This guy won. He then pulled out with an undisclosed injury. I haven't seen what it was. He didn't do interviews, which was frustrating because I think we all wanted to talk to him and he kind of disappeared. I don't think he's participating in the game. So this is a guy who I think definitely helped the stock. He's the right tackle. He's the second best line prospect at Ohio state. But when you look at that level of, uh, of athleticism mixed in with, uh, you know, the sheer size, you start asking, is this a Lane Johnson? Is this a guy who can be that kind of impact guy on the right side? I'm going to go back and look at more tape, more film, but he might be. He looked that good. Yeah. So it sounds like it was a good time overall. We were talking a little bit before we came on about sort of changes in the senior bowl. Yeah. You know, it has to go up a little bit against the Shrine Bowl now because the Shrine Bowl is now in Vegas at the same time as the Pro Bowl game. So that's like getting some attraction from people. I mean, I know Derek went to the Shrine Bowl rather than the Senior Bowl, but that's because it's a drive for him instead of having to get on an airplane. Yes. And and there wasn't – I mean, we all know Boston College's Tay Flowers was like the big name at the Shrine Bowl. There's not a lot of big-name talent. And – yeah, Mel Kuyper said this was a weak draft class, and I agree. I think this is a weak draft class. Um, normally, I think Field Yates put it up on ESPN earlier. There's six first-round picks taken from a typical senior ball. I don't know. There might be like three or four this year. I'm not exactly even sure who they would be at this point. Maybe maybe DeWand is one of them. Um, but I, I guess the the difference is the access is a little bit different. And I was talking to you a little bit beforehand. Like, I can remember – walking around Lad People stadiums and, you know, sitting down and across the way was Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson and Jim Schwartz and they're, and they're eating their takeout and they're chit-chatting and they're like 40 feet away, almost within like hearing distance of their conversation. Turning the corner, rest in peace, Ted Thompson would just be given an impromptu. I got 10 reporters here. I'm just going to do a little, uh, you know, a little press conference here. And you would just walk around and do stuff. A lot of that stuff is gone. A lot of that stuff is gone. The NFL guys are on their side. Media is on their side. You can mingle if you know somebody and chit-chat on their way in and out. You can mingle at Veets later in the night. You can mingle at the haberdashery later in the night and certainly get some nuggets along the way. But that's super casual. Hey, I'm just sitting here talking to 
you know, the assistant GM or like I'm talking to the guy who just talked to the assistant GM. A lot of that is a little more buttoned down than it was a few years ago. All right. Before we go, we want to remind everybody who's listening or watching about the Football Outsiders Reader Awards. This is our 20th yes. annual Reader Awards, uh, doing yeah. all of the regular awards plus all of our special awards, like who you think should have made the Pro Bowl and didn't, plus the Keith <laughs> Chalk and Wood Award for the worst player in the league, mm. and uh, the best and worst commercials. So I wanted to give you a little bit of a preview of the early voting on best and worst commercials yes. in football games this year. The current leader for best commercial is the Andy Reid mustaches ad from State Farm. Really? Yes. Followed by the progressive challenge flag ads. Oh, I like that. Very popular. And then this one surprised me. It came in. So right now it's number three, Burger King's Whopper, Whopper, Whopper. Yes. I expected that one to win worst commercial. There's a chance it wins both. It, there is a chance it wins both. There is a chance it wins both. I, I think in a, the, the question might come down to what's legal in your state. Oh. <laughs> because it has two different impacts based on your level of impairment on whatever substance you're impaired on. Because it's a clarion call. It is a clarion call. In some cir circumstances, and in other circumstances, it's like, my God, you're just, you're just, stop, stop, stop trying to solve a whopper thing. But what about this commercial? There's a very surprising early leader. I was surprised. The early leader for worst commercial is DirecTV's Football Housewives. Really? Yeah. I find that innocuous. The one with Dak getting sacked. The one with Dak getting sacked by the, by the Housewives, by the Desperate Housewives. I find that totally innocuous. Um, number two is the Verizon Einstein ad with Paul Giamatti. I don't even know that one. That one is a recent one. That one's just in the last three or four weeks, but it has played nonstop, and people are really sick of it. Wow. You know what? That's probably it. During the playoffs, a lot of times as soon as there's a commercial, I'm jotting notes down. So yeah. I, don't see I had to have seen it like in December when I'm like watching multiple games at once. I know nothing about that. Come on, come on, folks. There is not, I, I lobbied on our email chain and everything. Danny DeVito putting on a damn goggles and pouring olive oil all over a sandwich in a way that no human in Jersey, Philly, has ever done makes me, it's the opposite of whopper, whopper, whopper. It's like this disgusting image that makes me want to, I haven't eaten an Italian hoagie, Aaron, since that sandwich, since that, that commercial started running. <laughs> Because I think about, man, I'd love to go to Carmen's right now and get an Italian hoagie. And then I think about Danny DeVito. I got to pour on the juice. And I, I want to go have a salad. And I want to go jogging instead. That is not currently number three in the worst commercial voting. Currently number three in the worst commercial voting is Burger King's Whopper Whopper Whopper. <laughs> <laughs> it's currently number three for both best commercial and worst commercial. I, I I guess that means an effective advertising campaign because it's yes. it made, I haven't gone to Burger King since that ad campaign was on, but I've thought about Burger King a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually bought anything from them, but I've thought about them a lot. And you're based in Massachusetts. Okay. <laughs> well, yes, we know what's legal here. Sports gambling, by the way, is now legal in Massachusetts as of last week. Have you started downloading apps and stuff? 
Now, apps will not be available for another month. Right now, you have to go to the Encore Sportsbook in Boston in order to bet. But apps will be available in like a month or a month and a half. Who payola back channeled making sure that there was one place to gamble? Steve Wynn. Steve Wynn payola back channeled that. Yes. Yes, Steve Wynn and the Corleone family made sure that for the Super Bowl, you could only go to one place, <laughs> and then they could open up. You're going to be in time for March Madness, by the way, and you know, have fun because you actually, you probably will not be able to put your credit card number in. There, there literally is no sports event I know less about than March Madness. You don't have to know anything about it. You're just like, ah, 10 bucks on this team, 10 bucks, and you just sit there, and, and, and like your Thursday and Friday afternoon melt away, and it's, it's, it's delightful. Mm. Okay, that does it for this show. I want to thank everybody who has been watching. Thank you to everybody listening to us as a podcast. As always, rate the podcast. Tell your friends about the podcast. We'll be here all through the uh, through the off season, obviously, with weekly podcasts. We don't know yet when we're on next week. I was going to ask if we figured that out yet. I think what we basically need to do is show up at the media center. Mm-hmm. And figure out if there's a place that we can do this from the media center, or do we have to go back to our hotel room to do this? And so once we figure that out, we should have a better idea of whether we're going to be able to do shows and when we'll be able to do shows. Yeah, but well, my can... guess is that mm-hmm. we're going to be doing Tuesday and Thursday. That is my guess. Okay. That makes sense. Thursday's good. Tuesday, we'll make sure we make it good. Yeah, and uh, we'll be there on Sunday. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll walk around. And hopefully, we'll even uh, kidnap a guest to come on with us. Uh, one of the many media people that we run into in Phoenix. Yes, yes. Uh, Ixnay on the kidnapping age. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. not not kidnapping. Yes. Requesting. We will request. Kindly. We will yes. kindly request that someone join us. Yes, yes. Someone owes us a favor. And then we'll figure out the starting of the uh, the regular draft podcasts and the regular news podcasts and all of the stuff we do in the offseason. Very exciting. Oh, all right. Funny. Yes, stop singing. Go get yourself lunch. That Reese's, you, our sponsors, the Senior Bowl. That's our sponsor. <laughs> all right. That does it for the show. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. We will talk to you sometime next week. Watch the Twitter feed for an announcement of when the shows will actually be. But my guess is Tuesday at some point. And Thursday at some point. I don't know what time yet, because Mike and I will both be on Mountain Time. We'll, <laughs> we'll be here. You'll see us. Follow us on Twitter. Become an FO Plus subscriber. Enjoy this. Have a good weekend, bro. Bye.